0: Welcome to the Tales of Adventure podcast. I'm Chris, your host, and every month I'll be interviewing inspiring adventurers about overcoming hardship, taking risk, and doing it differently. The podcast complements the live speaker series which you hold in London every month, and it aims to document the learning that's got these standout individuals to where they are now. I hope you enjoy the show. Stephen, how you doing? Hi
1: Chris, very good. Very good. How are you?
0: Yes, not too bad, thanks, not too bad. Some really interesting times that we're in at the moment where um yeah, life seems to be turned upside down.
1: That's it, I know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but mate, if you if you wouldn't mind, um can I get you to do a brief introduction of who you are and your recent recent expedition, please?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Stephen Faves. My normal job is as a medical doctor. I worked in A&E at at St. Thomas's Hospital. And this is going back to 2010, the 5th of January. I I quit my job, I waved goodbye to my friends and family from outside the hospital, and I set off on my bicycle. And my plan at the time was to try and cycle the length of six of the Earth's continents didn't really know how long that was going to take. Um, I'd been really absorbed by the tales of adventurers and and um and long distance cyclists. And I was kind of inspired by them. And I'd um I I, I left St. Thomas's Hospital. We left into, into the coldest European winter for 31 years. So I left at completely the wrong time of year. <laughs> and um that's my 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 uh my my first my, my last memories of, of the UK were this getting attacked by large groups of Children with snowballs all the way across <laughs> Kent. Um, eventually, returned back to the hospital, um, and that took just over six years. I'd um, cycled across seventy-five different countries, and most of the time I was rough camping, sort of sleeping by the the sides of roads. And um, yeah, it's just a huge adventure, really. Um, I'd uh, t- I'd undertaken a a, a bike ride through South America as a, as, a, as a kid, as a sort of 19 year old with my brother. So that was, mm. that had really inspired this journey. Um, but it was just, uh, I think um, I just really wanted an adventure. I don't think there was any, any sort of complicated reasons behind the, the journey. Uh, I got back four years ago uh, and I've since uh, returned to my job as uh, an A&E doctor, back in the same hospital at St Thomas's and I've been uh, writing a book as well, which has taken the last three years.
0: Wow, Like mm. I don't even know where to start. With that. <laughs> I've uh, I've got your website up at the moment, and like just the sheer facts, you rode over six years. You rode across seventy five countries, um, and covered mm. about fifty three thousand miles. That in a that in its in itself is an incredible feat of human endurance. To so also yes. balance it with being a medical an A and E doctor. Um, before and after is wow <laughs> yeah.
1: i i've lost the so words yeah. some of those countries were quite small but i'm counting like bosnia and monaco they, they add to the tally <laughs> but um, but yeah i mean it was, it was a long it was a long journey um, and I, yeah it was i probably felt quite burnt out towards the end of the trip just because it had gone on so long but yeah. one of the one of the things that for the last few years of the journey i was visiting remote hospitals and clinics and medical projects and and that was as I suppose I suppose as a response to this feeling a bit burnt out and a bit tired and 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 it was a it was a, it was a kind of trying to satisfy my own curiosity and and trying to write about these projects so that that kind of fired me up again uh, and that was that was the sort of last year the last few few years of the trip.
0: Yeah. Wow, I, I I can't wait to dive into it, start pulling this apart. So can you give us um a brief summary of what route you took and then how you pieced it all together? And did you return home in that six years? And yeah.
1: so um yeah, so I set off from my hospital. So it was all all the doctors, nurses outside waving me off, off across Europe during this really brutally cold winter time, uh, and then um crossed the Alps, um, even colder, didn't have the right equipment. I was um, camping. It was just a, quite a miserable time, the beginning of the trip. And yeah. I wasn't really prepared. I hadn't done any training. But my attitude at the time was, uh, I have a lot of cycling to do. Why do any more? And so that's, <laughs> that that kind of landed me in it a little bit at the beginning. And, and it was a bit of a struggle. But I got, I got across here you know, through um, uh, to, to... I was in sort of Greece. And at this point, I was having an issue with my knee. Uh, I, it was clicking and there was a sort of a, a, a mobile sort of lump within the knee and um, I ended up getting an MRI scan and I, a, a big chunk of cartilage had come loose in the knee wow. it was about a, a two centimeter defect and, and there was sort of lots of micro fractures and and um, and there was sort of bone involvement as well so it was a I couldn't continue cycling after that so that's the only time I returned home so I got to I got to in the end sort of limped over to Istanbul I um I don't know if you remember there was a volcano erupting in Iceland around yeah, yeah. that time, and, and all the the flights were cancelled. So I got stuck. I was kind of I felt like I was kind of stuck. I couldn't get back, so I left, ditched my bike in Istanbul, and I hitchhiked home. So that took about ten days to cross Europe again, coming uh, rides. And so then hold, I, uh, so hot. Yeah.
0: Sorry. Uh, yeah. I love that you, you literally got so so you're in Istanbul and you're like right, I need to go home, and so you you dropped everything off and you hitchhiked home back to the UK.
1: Yeah, um, it was just an excuse for a mini adventure, I guess. I used to do a lot of hitchhiking <laughs> as a kid. That was my probably my first taste of adventure. Was this standing outside my mum's house and then thumbing rides, and and sometimes just kind of for the sake of it, really, just like not, not with any particular destination in, in mind. And um, uh, I, yeah, I would like hitch to festivals and things like that, and so um I had done a bit of that in the past and I, I guess I just kind of wanted to um yeah to to to, to have a, a little adventure to get home um I got home had the surgery on my knee in my hospital and <laughs> and then I was uh, I, I was about what well, I don't know uh, uh, I was trying to think now like maybe eight weeks or something at home having some physiotherapy and then I was um i I then i flew back to istanbul and from then on i continued the trip and that was the only time that i that i returned home and so then it was still more than six years until i got back um the next part of my journey so i I was in the wrong the being in the wrong place at the wrong time of year is the theme to this trip because that was the (laughs) the winter in europe and and really just because i was that's when i was ready to leave I, i didn't really plan it particularly well and then the next bit was Middle East in the in the summertime. So I was um, kind of this real like sort of roasting heat all the way through Turkey into Syria uh, just before the, the war in Syria. And then into uh, came through Jordan into North Africa. Um, this stage, I teamed up with my friend Naomi. She was um, someone I was, I was living with in London for a bit. and We cycled together the length of Africa, um, which took about nine months. And then wow. um, from Cape Town, I uh, traveled to South America, uh, to Ushuaia, the closest um, city in the world to the, to the South Pole, uh, yeah. and cycled from, from Ushuaia all the way up to Dead Horse, which is right on the Arctic Ocean, so northern Alaska. And um, <laughs> Dead Horse is about as exciting as it sounds. So, like there's, there's very little <laughs> that would attract anyone to Dead Horse. It's this kind of... Um, Bleak industrial outpost, and, it, and it's not really a place for travellers or even for citizens. It's just a kind of place for for oil workers working on the North Slope. So it's a bit of a um, a bit of an out of the way spot with nothing really to offer anybody. And it felt like a massive anticlimax game there. But um, well, then I travelled from Anchorage, so I hitchhiked from Dead Horse to Anchorage in Alaska, and then flew to Australia. Uh, And from Australia, I cycled the east coast of Australia uh, with my then girlfriend, Claire. And uh, then we island hopped through Indonesia. And then I was on my own again from Singapore, cycling up um, across, uh, up through sort of Malaysia, Thailand, uh, into Myanmar, India. At this point, I got stuck because I didn't have a visa. I'd chosen to go south of the Himalaya. I didn't have a visa to get into Pakistan, couldn't get one. Uh, And there was no other way. It wasn't really possible to travel through Tibet. So I was was stuck. So I, I decided I'd fly backwards to Hong Kong. Uh, and then I'd cycle across China, but there was some other visa, visa issue there was that it was, I only had a, a you know a month or two months with a, a renewal to get across China. So I thought I'd go up to Mongolia. Um, again, wrong time of year. I was, I was in Mongolia in the winter time, which was far colder than, yeah. than Europe in the winter time. And it was minus 35, 40 degrees, minus 40 oh, at night time. Uh, but across Mongolia into um, all the stands of central Asia and back across Europe and, and back home. And, um, yeah. And then, and not long after that, I was, um, shopping in Sainsbury's, uh, and pushing a shopping trolley along. And then I kind of, my grip kind of shifted on the handle and I realized that I was trying to change gear on the shopping trolley. And that was, a, a, bit of a <laughs> that was a sign, I think, that I'd been traveling a little bit too long on a bicycle. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the entire trip. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God.
0: Mm. Uh, wow. Um, my God. Your, your your talk at Tales Adventure is going to be absolutely incredible. I am not sure forty five a forty five minutes um, time frame is going to be sufficient to get anywhere near to the amount of stories that you 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 will have from that uh, your adventure. But can, can I jump sort of pre pre trip? Like, what what's um, like your experience in medical school, and what what mm. what kind of shaped you into um, mm. wanting to undertake a a long a super long expedition you know around the world so it's, it's cycling around the world but in real macro um yeah. kind of detail isn't it yeah well
1: I mean I think it was this um this this journey through South America so I was 19 my brother was 17 and we it was one of those ideas that you have when you're young where you just kind of feel a bit <laughs> you know invulnerable and like you know up, up for anything and I decided I was trying to cycle the length of Chile from from Punta Arenas up to Arica, and um, that would enable me to travel through lots of different types of, of climates and, and lots of different terrain. Uh, and it was a huge misadventure, really. We made lots of mistakes because we were, you know, teenagers, and yeah. uh, we are, we ran out of money. Uh, fights with each other i remember at one point unpegging my tent and not keeping anything to weight it down and the wind just kind of carried it away Um, so we had all these problems and we we, of course we had no skills in in fixing bicycles either so the bicycles fell apart we didn't maintain them so um but it was for me that that journey was was very much uh a, a, a a turning point because that kind of uh introduced to me what it was like to travel a long distance by bike that sense of vulnerability of being alone in the wilderness was was really intoxicating uh that sense of adventure and the, the sort of liberating feeling of being able to put your tent down anywhere at the end of the day and, and you'd always find a kind of find a bedroom as well um all of those things um the i guess the the uncertainty of 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 adventure, that the unpredictability of it, I was really kind of um, drawn to that. Yeah. So I didn't know if I would. I, I kind of had this plan after that. You know, it was kind of a what if I kept going moment when I got to the north of Chile, um, and you know, eventually I thought maybe I could cycle around the world. But I, I kind of half expected that idea just to be put to bed by the fact that I was. Uh, in a, in a career that was pretty intense and uh, yeah. uh demanded quite a lot of you so i was and i loved as well to be fair i really really loved being a doctor and I, there was a bit of soul searching um there was a moment uh, as i was working as a junior doctor where i had to i wondered whether i was going to kind of follow this dream to cycle around the world or whether i was just going to get on with my career and, and progress up the ladder and um I decided that, 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 that and it wasn't, it was quite a difficult decision, but then I decided I would, I would go for it. And I would, I would um, sort of start this, this journey. Um, and yeah, looking back, it's a, it's a good decision, I think.
0: <laughs> wow. I mean, and, and what did, you know, what did, what did people say? What did your coworkers, your family, what did everyone, all those around you say when you said, "Right, well, I'm going to embark on a around the world cycle. Um,
1: very very supportive actually and perhaps that speaks to sort of you know um all the some of the you know privileges that you know I've had that people nobody was like you know don't do don't do that or very very at least very few people there were some people I, I worked with uh and people people generally just sort of you know supported me in in that in that in that goal um there were some people I worked with who are very i think medicine is, is 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 quite a sort of competitive field and there's lots of people who are very career centered and i think some of those people thought it would be a bit odd and that this might cause problems later on but i, I for, for the majority of people when i explained my my plan um i just got a lot of support a lot of people um, wanting to help And I I think that was the important thing I was doing early on is I was just telling everybody because that was a a way for me not to back out of it. You know, once you've told everybody, (laughs) you kind of have to follow through. And also once you have told lots of people, then when you're planning something big and ambitious like this, you need people on side because you're gonna need a bit of help in lots of different ways to get these kind of projects off the ground or also when you're on the road. So Mm -hmm. um, that was important as well to try and get people excited about the journey that I was excited about. And then they'd, I'd often then have people to turn to if I needed help.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. And did you did you set out with any uh, plan for the expedition, or was it was it just I'm going to point my bike in this direction and then make a decision in three months time, or or kind of?
1: Yeah, so I kept the route fairly flexible deliberately because I remember from South America that that's what I really enjoyed was was changing your plan on a whim, was kind of getting advice from other bikers and just going off in that direction or this direction. And 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 again, maybe sort of heightening that sense of unpredictability that I was so drawn to. So I had a rough plan and it was pretty much London, Istanbul, and then Istanbul, Cape mm-hmm. Town. And then I would figure it out as I went. Um, and I, I think I did that pretty much the whole trip. I was, there were certain places I had to get to because as, as the trip went on, I ran out of money. So I ha- was having to then speak in international schools. So that gave me a little bit of a structure. Right. And um, I was also, of course, visiting these medical projects as well. So that was, that they, they were places to be at a certain time, but mostly it was it was try to figure this out as I went.
0: Wow, that's, uh, <laughs> my God, I, I love that. And what did you just say? You just said to friends and family and stuff, I'll see you when I see you, I, I guess.
1: Uh, Well, I had my mum, you know, I had a kind of strict schedule. I had to speak to her at least least every couple of weeks. Um, But otherwise, I didn't have a, I didn't start off with a phone or computer. Um, Mm -hmm. So I got some kind of like little um, netbook about three and a half years into the trip. Uh, But most (laughs) of the time, most of the time I wasn't able to communicate until I got to an internet cafe or something like that.
0: Wow! So you so you were, you you were doing the expedition this this trip with sort of no no comms onto like the next um to a support team or kind of uh, the next yeah. village or the next town or or a city or anything. That's
1: yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine now, but actually, I, I remember when, <laughs> when when I left, I, I think I had one friend with a smartphone, and when I came back, everybody had them. So it was just at <laughs> that time. It was just at that time of sort of early 2010 where it wouldn't have been that unusual but now i suppose if you go cycling around the world almost everybody has a phone and when i meet bikers at the end of my journey it was they were all in contact with each other on whatsapp this vast you know network of touring cyclists in this or or touring cyclists in the same area all kind of communicating with each other and swapping tips about routes and where to stay and um yeah i didn't have that at the beginning. but uh, so yeah, definitely things have
0: changed yeah 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 and I've seen the the videos on your website there's two incredible videos that that um you've obviously you documented some some real high highs and some real challenges of the of the trip from the remote the remote environment the um the you know the difficulties that you encountered by cycling with everything you needed to live, and then obviously the, the incredible human connections that you made. Uh, on the trip. Can you tell us a little bit about you know some of the highlights and lowlights of the, the trip itself? So I think for
1: me the the most difficult times, so let's start with that is the uh, being on my own for long periods. Yeah. Uh, that was I was kind of okay in my own company, but I think that can go on for a bit too long. And I don't think it's particularly good for anybody to be on their own for a long period. So they um, and it has an effect as well. I think the more time you spend on your own, we, we think of sort of things like introversion and extroversion as being, you know, you are one or the other, but they're quite fluid. And I think yeah. I be- probably be- probably became a bit more introverted as a result of this spending a lot of time on my own. It was um so those were the more difficult times, um, not speaking to anybody sometimes for a long, for, for quite a long period for more than a yeah. week in some parts of the world, uh, to a oh. couple of weeks. Um, and the cold, I think was, was definitely rank up. there as sort of the, some of the most difficult things I had to deal with just because I'm not a big fan of the cold and I went to some quite cool <laughs> places along the way. And I was obviously living outside and, and that made things miserable sometimes, um, yeah so yeah i think i think and i just the general fed upness of having to live cheap and and, and stuff got me down after a while uh, living on less than ten dollars a day and and then always having to hustle to get a bit of money um that those are the uh, the, the more difficult things the and, and frustrations with my complete ineptitude when it comes to um, <laughs> repairing bicycles um i think my uh, my professional um, insurers are very glad that I'm not a surgeon because
0: it would be a disaster. <laughs> um, I think it I'm just not... makes the. Uh, uh, I think it just makes the story even more, even even richer because it's like, <laughs> like I can only imagine the amount of fortitude and resilience that it would have taken to to be like, oh well, this this thing's broken. I'll have to wait here for a few days until somebody passes on the road. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, I yeah. can I can only begin to imagine those those moments.
1: Yeah, it was definitely easier to hand bike fixing duties to people more capable than I was. But, um,
0: <laughs>
1: highlights, I think. I mean, I would so what I would do is I'd kind of make. So obviously, I had to. I had a vague direction of travel. I had, I'd, I'd make up miles. Sometimes on not the best roads, slightly busier ones. But then I would go off on these like mini adventures where I would take a very sort of circuitous route. I would stick to unpaved roads I was get up into the mountains get to out of the way places where people often don't visit when I come when I look at my route now on the map it's those places that stand out it's the wiggles that kind of stand out I'm like that they're the places where I have the most vivid memories from Um, and it was places that were extremely different to home so uh, often places that have got some sort of history of isolation, whether yeah. that's Myanmar, when I was there, it was opening up, but I went to some quite remote parts. I hadn't really seen any travellers for a long time and Mongolia as well. And, and Ethiopia, these are the places that really stood, stood out in my mind as being uh, very different, very exciting. And, um, and any of these mini adventures on the, on the rough roads that, that was, I, 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 never regretted those, those journeys. And that those were the, as I said, the, sort of the, the, the best memories I have now. Yeah.
0: Wow. I, I could only imagine having seen the videos now, it, it brings it to life even more. Um, the, you, you, um, you, you mentioned human connections in one of the videos. Um, was there any sort of standout human connections where you were like this, this, happened to me in this part of the world or um things that really just you know were outlier moments for you
1: so the first one would have been on my second day on the road where (laughs) i was the first so my first when i left st thomas's i um that was the hospital i was working at I didn't get very far. I got to the pub, which is about a <laughs> mi- a half a mile down the road. And I had a bit of a sort of moment of, of what am I doing? And I was in the pub and some friends came down and I was eventually kind of cajoled to leave the pub. And um, <laughs> but there, by this point, by this, I'd been there hours and by this point it was getting dark. So my first day as an adventurer um, ended 14 miles after I began in Bexley Heath in a bed and breakfast so
0: really, um,
1: but so that so i didn't get very far but then the next day i was in cycling through kent and it says there's lots of snow record snowfall across the south of england and eight thousand schools were closed across the country and i was being attacked by big groups of gangs of kids with snowballs and it was just <laughs> but then but but there was a, a woman uh, was like shoveling snow from her driveway in sittingbourne in kent and she asked me what I was doing and I didn't really want to tell her because I felt a bit <laughs> ridiculous that I would decided during the coldest winter in 31 years to cycle around the world. That's when I was going to start my trip. And, and she kind of like, my story kind of came out in, you know, and she said, well, where are you staying tonight? And I, I didn't really have an answer. So she said, well, come and stay in my house because kids have grown up. We've got a spare bedroom, um, you know, You can set off again tomorrow. We'll dry your clothes and all that stuff, and that was incredible act of hospitality right at the beginning of the journey. And in miserable Britain as well, you don't expect this kind of goodwill. But of course, there is something about I think being an outsider, and I was, I suppose, a bit of an outsider. I was suddenly being taken from, you know, I suddenly I was a guy on a on a bicycle, Um, yeah, and so I was I was welcomed in. She saw that I was perhaps doing something a bit different and. Uh, I was given a, a bed for the night. And, and then six years later, I knocked on her door and, and um, she, she, they'd baked a cake in my honour. And I, I really wanted to to complete the loop and kind of say thank you. And because that was really the first of many, many acts of hospitality that I had in almost every country that I travelled through. So that was a really special memory for me. Um, I also, I really enjoyed like meeting other bikers as well. And, and uh, I met a guy called Lian in China who I cycled with for a very, for, for, for a couple of weeks, but right. he, and we didn't have much language in common. So there was a lot of sort of communicating by sign language. And it was a kind of <laughs> quite interesting relationship. We had tried to um, both on our own separate journeys. And um, it felt like there was a bit of a cultural chasm between us sometimes, but it was, um, it, he, my, my whole perspective on China changed through meeting him and he, was a kind of a bit of a guide I suppose in in lots of ways but um, he he took me under his wing and um, yeah we had lots of communication disasters because he would use his phone to translate and his phone would sometimes translate in very strange ways so it would for example one night he said it's too cold for the praetorium and the <laughs> Praetorium. What's that? I had to look at a Praetorium is like a general's tent within a Roman encampment. <laughs> so, he, so his phone had, had just gone rogue, and. Um, And we had, and he used to say things like, we are kinsmen and stuff like that. So it's just really endearing. But um, yeah, so, but but meeting people like him as well, I remember meeting other bikers and cycling with them for a time was definitely something that stood out in my memory as being um, a kind of, the the human connections that I really relished.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do do you still stay in touch with uh, anyone that you cycled, you you met on the cycle or?
1: Yes, yes, uh, definitely. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah i've got and i feel like i've got places to stay in lots of different countries now if i ever go there because of people that i met along the along the way and um and equally i'd love to host um other bikers who i met in different places who who i met on the roads if they're ever coming through the uk but yeah there is there's certainly um uh, i'm still in touch with a lot of those people yeah yeah
0: wow That's, it's absolutely incredible and and <laughs> I'm guessing the expedition itself has reinforced your love of cycling or is it put your cycles all together or what's the, um, the kind of I
1: was a bit burnt out to be honest and actually I haven't done a lot of cycle touring since I got home and that was about four years ago now and, and, and at the moment I, I took I did need a an obsession to replace the 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 cycle the bike cycle touring and it was an obsession I guess you know it's a bit of a sort of monomaniacal thing to do to sort of devote six and a bit years of my life just to basically cycling from dawn till dusk and for me that's been running so I think I I felt a bit of this emotional dip when I came home and and that was for lots of different reasons but one of them Mm -hmm. was certainly the fact that I felt a bit addicted to exercise and and I'd been doing that for a long time and suddenly I'd stopped and so for me running was this um, was, was something that was a, a replacement obsession, really, and I got very um, sort of threw myself into that. Joined various clubs and started uh, racing every weekend. And I think I ran fifty races last year. Wow. Uh, so, so it was, and it, and although cycling was not competitive in any sense, but running uh, I've, I've started really getting interested in the competition, the competitive element of it. So. Yeah, got really into that, and um, uh, and 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 still do a lot of that at the moment. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. It's it's, uh, it's it's funny you say that because um, we used to call it the post-expedition blues about when you mm. do set off on a big, you know, endeavor and then you come back and then all of a sudden you you've got very used to the uh, I guess the adrenaline um, the stresses of being away um, and having to think very dynamically that you when you get home to 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 quote unquote normal life, um, it can feel a bit of a a bit of a a downward step, but um, I guess it's just a it's just another transition that you go through when you know yeah. the same as when you when you set off for these things.
1: Yeah, and it can be a bit delayed as well. It doesn't happen immediately. It can take a little bit of time because there's a lot of excitement about coming home and and you and you're suddenly reunited with all these things and people that you missed. But then uh, a little bit later down the road, you can definitely feel a bit crushed by this sense of maybe a bit of a sense of what next. And you get got very wistful for the sort of open road, you know, got very <laughs> lost, <laughs> staring out the window, lost in these sort of romantic memories of what it was like to have that sort of freedom. Um, I think there's lots of different reasons for that. Yeah. I, and it was something I struggled with a lot. When I came home, I was back living with my mum again. You know, I had no money. Um, my mum was really, uh, my mum was really into Levison Wood as well, that, that adventure She was like, <laughs> you know, uh, she was like, I really love that Levison Wood. He's such an adventurous guy. And I'd be like, Mum, I've been cycling around the world for six years. And she said, Yeah, but he's so handsome, isn't he? And I <laughs> Uh, and she took me I remember one of a definite like low point was when she took me shopping for clothes and I had no money I I, in fact I was in debt to a lot of my friends and and I hadn't quite managed to get back to work yet and she took me to sports direct and she was like holding up the I was like you know at this point 35 years old going bald and (laughs) she's holding up kind of bargain jeans and asking me to try them on and then I looked across and there was a kind of Maybe nine or ten year old boy following his mum around the shop in exactly the same situation, and we swapped a little look that was just like, "Ah, oh, mums," you know.
0: <laughs> and I just thought,
1: and I just thought, "What's my life become? This is awful." But um, it did. Of course, it didn't last. I have managed to move out of home and got back into my job and stuff. And yeah, um, and and then and then I was very busy writing writing this book. So um, wow. I, that that gave me a sense of purpose again.
0: Yeah, my God, it's it's incredible. It's um well, Lev Lev's been a Tales of Adventure speaker back when the when it started in I think twenty fourteen. So yeah, yeah, you know it's interesting, obviously that he he's been through it as well, and obviously now you've, uh, you know now it's your go, and obviously everyone's referring uh, referencing Lev. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, My God, I think it's um yeah just the whole the whole expedition the whole. I don't even want to call it an expedition because it's um, it sounds more like it was it was this sort of you know a life challenge that that um you know got somehow fitted into a time when you you know you felt like you you had to do something that was more than just career focused um which I think you know it's incredible there's not there's not many people out there certainly ones that I've come across that can say I I took a six year sabbatical to go and you know follow my follow my wanderlust um yeah it felt
1: something I just had to do at the time um well actually at the time it was a difficult decision but I think once I got going on the journey after I got through that cold winter then I, I really sort of fell in love with that yeah and it, and it felt like a lifestyle Yeah, you what know, it sort of started feeling less like a journey and more like this is my life now you know how to uh and, and there's a almost a sense of relief as well in that I used to have to make quite big decisions at work, you know, that there's, you have to decide on, on what the diagnosis is and the treatments. And, and there is a, a an amount of stress that comes with that, that all doctors I think will recognize and, and yeah. that, that, that responsibility. And when you're on the road, you're like the, the decisions are more like, you know, should I buy some mayonnaise or like, you know, it's <laughs> like, those decisions they don't really, they only impact you and, um, and they're, was a sense of relief i think um of of having this very simple sort of uh life that i didn't really have to make big decisions and i just it was basically which road should i take and where should i sleep
0: yeah and obviously mayonnaise mayonnaise was lighter mayonnaise or Hellman's mayonnaise or (laughs) (laughs) yeah the more calories the better (laughs) (laughs) well wait is there um it, you know, is it helps your career? I mean, I'm, I'm presuming yes. Um, that six years of being on the road making, making some real, you know, real life decisions has probably affected your outlook and you know your your career as a doctor. It's probably brought th- a lot of things home and on you know yeah. how to best help your patients.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it has helped me become a better communicator because. I, when I ran, I started running out of money during this journey. Then I thought, oh, how I'm going to make some. I have to develop skills in order to to make money. And and so for me, that was speaking in schools. So I did a lot of public speaking as I travelled. And yeah, and, yeah. and that's that's of course a really important skill to have. And the other one was was writing. So I started writing freelance um, journalism for adventure travel magazines, and then uh, a bit for newspapers. And Again, it takes a very long time to to learn to to write well, and and, th- and that started because I was on my own, because I ran out of money and I had to had to learn how to write. But then also because I was on my own and I didn't have much to do in the evening, so I read a lot. So I read like a kind of a book a week as I travelled, yeah. and that then was, um, I, I, yeah, it was, it was it was something that I was really obsessed by was was writing my blog every month and that has now translated into a book and mm. i you know i probably well i do consider myself a writer now it's probably taken a long time to get to <laughs> that get to get to that stage but um but that's i suppose a, a new career almost like that's i i i've been working part time on the book and part time in the hospital so i mm. consider myself to have those those two careers now um, mm.
0: Sorry, the portfolio career. I think that's uh, mm. a, a really interesting term that somebody put to me recently when I said I don't really know mm. what it is I do. Uh, they like, said, "Oh, Chris, you've got a portfolio career." So uh, what? a portfolio the, career. Yeah, that's the new term for it. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. Portfolio <laughs> career. Yeah. Um, but well, wow, that's. I mean, it's incredible. It's um, you know, you think of all the things that. You would have undoubtedly learned and well learned and saw, um, and then what that's brought back to helping your patients, um, helping your helping your writing, um, yeah, giving you a whole ton of work to do as well, I imagine.
1: Yeah, definitely. For in terms yeah. of patients, yeah, you you definitely have more things to talk about. I think if you've traveled through a specific area and 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 uh, but uh, obviously London's a very diverse city, and we have patients who come from lots of different parts of the world so sometimes it's quite nice to just chat about that a little bit even though I was only a very fleeting visitor to lots of these places (laughs) um and yeah I I, when I was visiting the medical projects my I've got an interest in in health inequality and Mm -hmm. and marginalization and how those things impact on health so that was the the theme running through that these projects that I was visiting so it was it was um Quite diverse places, so from orthopedic wards in Afghanistan to mental health rehab in Mumbai to a floating medical clinic on the Tonle Sap in Cambodia to a hospital with for patients with leprosy in Nepal to a old sort of crumbling sanatorium for patients with TB in the in uh, in Georgia. So lots of different places, and 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 that was, I suppose, I was a bit of a a journalistic investigation into this association between uh marginalization and and poor health and and that was the theme of the the, that's running through the book as well um so that that opened my eyes to to a lot of these the consequences of health inequality but I was kind of driven towards that from my experience in A&E in the NHS which is where you know you don't see this neat cross-section of Britain you see Um, certain patients more often than you do others Um, and there's a lot of you see a lot of disadvantage and um, disempowerment so it was really just that was my kind of awakening and then I was when I was visiting these places it was trying to draw parallels I suppose
0: yeah and and when you set off on the on the trip itself it was that wasn't your primary uh, driver for for it but that kind of developed as you were as you were on the trip as I'm am I right in thinking that?
1: Exactly so I because I was feeling a bit burnt out um it was only really the last I did visit occasionally medical projects before but mostly it was the last couple of years two and a half years of the journey where I was quite regularly um visiting places and and it was began very organically and it was just sort of what I heard about and what I found on the internet and where I was and then finding out what projects were in the area and then um and, and being a doctor opens the door, you know, to all kinds of things. You just have to send a message and people are always keen. They sort of trust you straight away and they're always keen to show you around sort of if there's a doctor working in a, in a different area, they're happy to, to show you. So that was a way to um, to explore it was another journey really it was the physical ride on the bike and then there was yeah. this other journey of trying to further my understanding about health inequalities
0: yeah. um,
1: and it was also I just I think a response to the fact that when I was cycling everything seems great you know people are smiling you know everyone's offering me places to stay and I felt that that was not a particularly full you know uh, idea of I wasn't getting a complete sense of the places I was traveling through yeah. because I, I didn't have the language to get to the heart of things so visiting medical projects helped me understand some of the problems in the local areas mm-hmm. and I realized as well that I was we all travel we we all have a lot of cultural baggage you know we, we see the world through the eyes of through the fact that of our position in the world and through our experiences, and and I thought probably I'm biased in lots of different ways, but perhaps the most interesting way I'm biased is that I'm a doctor, so I've I can, if I visit a medical project here, perhaps I can think of a way that that's similar to some of the things that I've seen working in the NHS. So it was um so that that was probably what uh yeah what what inspired that I guess.
0: Wow, it's, I mean, it's it's, it's super interesting because we've been we've been talking for about a month now and trying to line up a line up a date, um, and the subject of adventure with purpose has come up um, mm. in some of our conversations, has not it? Which is a yeah, it's an area that um, I I think is is definitely missing from the the adventure travel kind of sports sector. Um, yeah, but it's yeah. something which I I would really like to see. Um. You know the, the whole area become more sophisticated in is is going yeah. out to do something not not necessarily to always be the first to uh, row across an ocean or go or get to North Pole, um, yeah. but to, to do something that's got uh, you know to shine a spotlight on something else you know to that yeah. um, that other people should be aware of and so and uh, my my immediate thoughts is my God I would love to watch a movie or you know some kind of video of your your whole experience if you've got loads of footage from this i would love to see it cut into a movie or something you know obviously yeah. after the when the book's released
1: <laughs> yeah 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 i have to I have to keep plugging the book sorry if i've mentioned i mentioned <laughs> no. it a few times it's taken me three years to write it so i'm just gonna <laughs> i'll mention it every opportunity um yeah I'm, I'm really sold on this adventure with purpose as well and i i think adventure is a broad church though right so you don't hmm. you don't have to go away and explore a social issue you care about but i think that adventure can be very powerful if you do that um, and then obviously if you're able to share that in an engaging way is really important. But, um, some of the most impressive adventures that, you know, I hear about are the ones where it's attached to a, a cause that someone really cares about and it's in some way investigative, you know? Mm. Uh, and I think that there's definitely been a change in direction. There's, uh, the on the adventure scene there's a lot more of, of this adventure with purpose and and i think that's the way that adventure is heading now yeah yeah less yeah. less less sort of uh willy waving sort of you know, <laughs> world firsts and more sort of what what are the big issues in the world today how can we marry that up with adventure and how yeah. can we then communicate that to people in a really uh inspiring way
0: yeah definitely I guess why that leads me on to the next question. Um, what you know, what does the future hold for you? Where, where, um, where, where do you see yourself going next with this, or, or bringing it to to have most purpose?
1: Um, I mentioned the book, didn't I? Yes. Um, I I'm back in my job, so I've been obviously obviously at the moment. Um. with the the coronavirus very busy i was very busy with that Mm -hmm. and i i think in the future i i I definitely want to keep writing that that is a a real passion for me so i'd like Mm -hmm. to uh write another book after this and continue to write blogs and articles um i haven't got a very set idea about what's going to unfold i guess i just want to see what comes along but my main focus has been the book just because it's it's taken so long to write it and and yeah. I and and it, the book tour has kind of um fallen apart unfortunately but it's going to be um I want to kind of see how that lands and then I'll I, I probably can make some decisions after that
0: yeah oh my god it's I think by the sounds of it um there it sounds like there's several books you know in you in from this experience from this whole uh, endeavor that's, I think, you know, s- slowly this, you know, the, these, these components will start to come out. Um, and yeah, I, I, mean, I'm, I'm so excited to, to get you on the Tells Venture stage. It is unreal. I Brilliant. think 45 minutes yeah, be great. is going be to be an it, absolute, yeah. uh, like an absolute challenge <laughs> for you just to be like, Oh, this happened and this happened, this happened. And then try and limit it to yeah. a few questions. will be, I'll have to cherry you know. pick the stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just got, um, so many directions it can go in but uh I yeah I guess let's let's do the final question then it's um, um mm-hmm. before I let you get on to your afternoon who is there anyone that's been instrumental in this journey that you want to say thank you to and highlight and applaud
1: everybody who offered me accommodation all the strangers that invited me in along the way um, my mum was the kind of one woman support team at home who I think I've got Um, who I'm most grateful to out of anybody Uh, and she was as I said always very supporting and always had a lot of belief that I'd eventually get around the world Um, and yeah and then there's various kind of inspirational people and mentors that I had along the way Um, so there's I mean I was trying to write this like acknowledgement section at the end of the book and it's just goes on and on and on and yeah. I still realized that there are many more people that I was, was just not able to thank. So a lot of people played a part in, uh, in in the journey in some respect or another, but um, yeah, I think i said, i read a lot of books as I was traveling and, and reading books by adventurers was also quite inspiring. So yeah, um, yeah, there are some there are some good books about long bike rides that got me got me interested in, in this kind of journey. So
0: yeah. yeah. Fantastic. just um before I do let you go, what's remind us the, the name of your book and what your mm. website is and your social media handles.
1: Yeah, so my website is my name, so it's Stephen, and that's with a pH, so Stephenfabes.com. And my book uh, it's called Signs of Life. Um to the ends of the earth with a doctor and that's uh published by profile and that's being published on the 6th of august and there'll be some kind of online launch uh just after that and um yeah you can there is details and the blurb and all that stuff on my website and you can pre-order a copy uh now there's a little link where you can pre-order a copy and it's going to have um that's that it's obviously it's the hardback and it's going to have color plates in as well yeah. So, uh, it's been a long road to get to this publication. I don't know what I'll do when the, the first box of books <laughs> arrives on my doorstep. I'll probably have a, 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 quite an emotional moment, but it's because um, that's been a long journey in itself as well. But it's yeah. uh, I'm happy to get there.
0: Mate, that's, that, that's absolutely incredible. And I genuinely can't wait to, well, both meet you and also get you on the Tales Adventure stage because this is, you but, know, yeah. you're one of the most exciting speakers I think I've ever, ever. Engagement for this. Brilliant! Uh, I'd love this, to look forward to that. Project. That'd be great. Brilliant. Well, matey, I'll leave you to your All afternoon. Right. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Um, and Cheers, Chris. The stage. Take care. Thanks Stephen. Bye bye.